we're going to be in John 21 this week, learning from another disciple. Uh, and just to go through a little bit of a recap of where we've been. So follow me, lessons from the lives of the disciples. And I love that our whole series is called Follow Me. And that's also one of the lines that we're going to be seeing as Jesus asks Simon today to follow me. And believe it or not, this is week 12. That, yeah, this semester has just flown by. So our thesis for our semester is that Jesus uses ordinary men to accomplish his extraordinary mission, and that a disciple is called to faith in Jesus Christ, to follow after Jesus Christ and to obey him, and to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ and tell others about him, and to family in Christ's church. And because I know that I am following Hunter, we need to have a map up here. And believe it or not, you know, I... I think that I'm pretty good at technology stuff. You know, I come out here in the mornings and I set up most of the tech. Um, it's something that I've had to learn in this season, but I'm very bad at PowerPoint. And so I pulled up my PowerPoint from the last time I talked and there was a map in there and I was like, oh man, I've got to delete this map and figure out a way to get a new map in here and put a circle on the map. And then I did a little bit of research into my text and... It is the same map as last time. Not only is it the same map as last time, we are in the same exact location as last time I got up here. So what a gift to me that I didn't have to learn more about PowerPoint. And so today's text of um, John 21, we're going to be right around the Sea of Galilee again. Um, And so we're going to be looking at that. Now we know where we are. This is after the death and resurrection of Christ, and he has come back to his disciples to kind of reintroduce himself to them at the same place that he met them the first time, at the Sea of Galilee in their little fishing village there. So we're going to start um, in, uh, by reading the text. And so if you guys would open your Bibles to John 21, we're going to be reading verses 15 through 23. So John 21, verses 15 through 23. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, 
Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you? And so our brief introduction of where we're going to be today is we're going to be looking at the story in our own lives and in Simon's life of rejection, restoration, and then response. And that response is in order to live in a way that is on mission by feeding the sheep and to follow Christ. And so that's where we're going to go. But to get there, we're going to start with rejection, which actually means looking back. And so in today's text, we see Jesus asking um, Simon Peter three times, do you love me? And this is actually mirroring something that happened earlier in the Gospel of John, which is Peter's denial of Christ three times. So we're going to look at that text really quickly too. So I'm going to read this, and this comes from John 18, and it's verses 15 through 27. So it says, uh, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. This is after the arrest of Jesus Christ. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. There's the first denial. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. The second denial. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, the third denial, and at once a rooster crowed. And so in order to understand the rejection that Peter has had for, on, on Christ and the way he has rejected him, I think it's important that we look at what it actually means to reject. And so I know this is a little bit cliche, but I did go ahead and just look it up on Google. What does it mean to reject? Because I know that in my own mind, I like to say, like, there's no way that I reject Christ. Maybe I rebel against him at times. Maybe I'm not always the best follower of Christ, but I don't reject him in my life. So what does it mean to reject? And so a rejection means to refuse to accept to cons- or consider, submit to, take for some purpose or use, or to refuse to hear, receive, or admit. And so I think it's clear that we can see here that Peter has rejected Christ. And I want to look at another way in Scripture, in the Gospels, that we see a rejection of Christ. Maybe one that's a little more clear because it involves a man actually walking away without Jesus Christ. And that is the rich young ruler. And so we have right here the story of the rich young ruler. So I'll read that briefly. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, what do, you ask, what do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Already a pretty long task list that's, that's hard to do. But he says, the young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, 
Go, sell what you possess, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich, man, will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. So here I think it's a little more clear to see that the, the rich young ruler has rejected Christ. He's rejected the offer to follow him because he had great wealth and was not willing to give that great wealth up. And so Christ said again, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what does it mean to reject Christ? To reject Christ is to refuse to accept, consider, submit to, hear, or receive his word and his truth. It's to place another thing above God in idolatry or to remove ourselves from the altar as living sacrifices. And there's this line from a professor. I might have mentioned it last time, but I'll say it again. It's, such, it's just a line that has really stuck with me from a professor at seminary. And he just said, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it can pull itself off the altar. I'll say that again. The problem with a living sacrifice is that it can pull itself off the offer altar. And we are to be living sacrifices, offering our own lives to God. But the problem is, at times, we may want to pull ourselves off of that altar. And that is the same thing as to reject Christ. So the rich young ruler rejected Christ because of his wealth. But I think that that pushes me to to ask myself, for what reasons have I, in my own life, rejected Christ? Have I rejected Christ because of my love of wealth or love of money? Or have I rejected Christ because of my desire to be successful, to be popular, to be respected, um, to have some sort of status in this world, or for even other people's approval, or maybe even rejected Christ just to experience somebody's love? And so I think that we can replace those last words uh, that Christ said in that, in that story of the rich young ruler and say, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a selfish or popular or powerful or jealous or angry or successful person enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think that was really helpful for me being in my mid-20s working at a church I do not have great wealth, um, but I do have a lot of other things that I'm just holding on to with white knuckles, not wanting to give up, other things that I'm letting myself, letting define me by. And so it's, I think it's very helpful to replace those words with other things in my own life that are preventing me from following Christ, from giving everything I have, um, those things that are actually causing me to reject Christ. And so... From this story, and we go back to looking at Simon, we go back to looking at the the disciple Peter. Who can fall? Who will reject Christ? I think we can remember that um, the disciple Simon goes by Peter, and that's because Jesus gave him the name Peter in Matthew 16, 18. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The disciple we look at today is the rock who the church is founded on, that the church is built on because of Jesus Christ. And if the rock can fall to temptation, if the rock, not Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but the rock, Simon Peter, 
can fall to temptation and reject Christ and deny him three times, I know that I can. The other thing that I'd love to bring up here is that Simon, uh, Peter often talked to, to the other disciples and Jesus and said that he was the most dedicated, that he would never fall away. And these are two quotes that he has. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away, Jesus. Or maybe even in earlier in the same book of John, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And just this contrast here, Peter saying, I will lay down my life for you. But the only thing it took for Peter to reject and to deny Christ three times was fearing for the safety of his own life. The man who said he would lay his life for Jesus was given the opportunity. And when he was given the opportunity, he backed down and denied ever knowing Jesus Christ. And so we can ask, who can fall to temptation? Who can fall into this tendency to reject Christ? And I think the bigger question is, who can't? I know a few weeks ago we looked at a, we, we briefly mentioned a pretty popular pastor in New York City who has recently fallen into temptation. Um, and we've had to watch that and witness that. Um, and it's easy to say that uh, that can happen to other people. But the reality of it is that it happened to a big pastor. It happens to pastors every day. It happened to The Rock, Simon, Peter, and it happens to us as well that we do fall into this temptation to reject Jesus Christ, to put other things above him, to refuse to admit or submit to his will for our life. And so, luckily, the gospel is bigger than our rejection of Christ, that the gospel includes um, Jesus Christ who came and born a man that he may die for us, that we may not only uh, be, be dead in our sin, but forgiven and not just forgiven, but restored. And so we're going to look a little bit at um, restoration. And now we actually get to look at our text today. So now we are finally into um, John chapter 21. And so I want to draw a few parallels between the denial of Christ uh, by Peter and the uh, three claims of his love. Um, and so the first thing that I'd like to bring up is that we, we, we read when he denied Christ that he was bundled and cold and gathered around a fire in public. And in public, around a fire, he denied Christ three times. And here we have in public, around a different fire, around a different crowd, he, re, he is restored and claims that he loves Jesus Christ three times. And that just briefly comes from verse 9. So... They had been fishing when Jesus came up on the shore. And it says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in the place with fish laid on it and bread. And so again, around a different fire, we have these two stories linked together. Another reason that um, there's a clear linking of these two stories is that um, Jesus asks Peter in verse, uh, the first time he asks him, he says in verse 15, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? And I was a little curious, what is more than these? So more than these actually refers to the disciples surrounding them. And it's only because Simon had said, 
I will be the last one to fall away. Even after all of, they, all of them do, I won't. And so Jesus is bringing that same story back into mind and saying, do you remember when you told me that? And I told you you would reject me three times. Well, do you love me more than these? And really bringing these two different accounts into perspective in Simon's mind that he could not be hearing this and not thinking back about when he had said those things. And so he asks Peter three times. And um, after each time, he gives him a charge to feed his sheep, feed his lambs, to tend to his flock, and to feed his sheep. And I thought I'd love to dive into these three different ways that Jesus asks him to tend to the sheep. And what can we learn from each one? Um, that sounds like something that would be fun to do. And I was starting to look at the differences between a lamb and a sheep. Maybe we're supposed to first care for the young ones, the younger believers, and then care for the rest of the flock, and then care for the sheep, the older believers. And I started to really, to really dive deep into that. And then as I continue to read and do more research and look at some commentaries from some people a little bit wiser than I am, they all just said, it's just stylistic. There's, there's no thing to dive into on each different account and say it means something different, a different way to live on mission. But really, it's just saying it three times. And so why three times if they all mean the same exact thing? Um, not to mention, I think that's a great example of, of how sometimes we read some scripture and we go off on some rabbit hole, and it doesn't actually pertain to what Jesus Christ is saying in that scripture. So very helpful to look at people wiser than us that can help guide us into our interpretation of scripture. But then why three times? If he says the same thing every single time, why three times? Is he not content with Peter saying, I love you once? Is he not content with Peter saying, I love you twice? And it takes three times for Jesus to finally accept him back? I don't think that's the case. And I don't think that's the case because after the very first time that Peter says, uh, you know, you know that I love you, Jesus Christ gives him the highest of all missions to care for his, his flock of believers. And I think that if Jesus didn't believe Peter's claim the first time, I don't think he would have been ready to say, feed my lambs. So why three times? I think three times because Jesus is wanting to publicly restore Peter to where he was beforehand. And so publicly around another fire, he wants to restore Peter to where he was before the three times of denying Christ. And that was really important for Peter's mission, very important for Christ's mission here on earth, because he's in the business of not just forgiving us, but restoring us. Um, briefly, I just want to say that I think that as men, we really struggle with forgiveness. And as I say that, I'm sure that most of us can, someone might pop in our mind that we really want to forgive, but we can't, or maybe somebody that we don't really want to forgive. And I think that that's challenging, but at least for me, I think I struggle more with being forgiven than with forgiving somebody else. And I think that's because I'm wired to believe that everything that I should, that everything that I should have is something that, something that I should work for. This workspace salvation, this workspace repairing that I believe in my own life at some deep level. And so it's really hard for me to be forgiven by somebody when I know that I've wronged them because I want to say, I don't deserve that. 
Let me work for that first. Forgive me after I've righted my wrongs. But that's not the gospel. Peter couldn't do anything to right his wrongs, and he didn't need to sit there and fall on his knees and say, Jesus, please forgive me. Um, Jesus had already forgiven him. Uh-huh. Okay, so here are some of the differences that I see between um, forgiveness and restoration. So I think that forgiveness is more of a not being held accountable for our sins or the wrongs that we've done towards somebody. Um, it's also that Jesus' righteousness is being attributed to us, that we're seen as without blemish, without sin, without um, evil within us, where restoration is more about a fixing and a growing and a sanctification. It's not just that we're not held accountable for the sins, but that we're being restored into where we were before sin, before all of sin, um, that we're being sanctified into who we were meant to be as creation, as evidenced in Genesis. And I looked at Psalm 51, and so Psalm 51 is written by David, and it's written by David after um, the prophet Nathan came to him and made him very aware of his own sin um, in the taking of another man's wife and then sleeping with that woman, having her get pregnant, and the murdering of her husband. And so, um, you know, God sent a prophet there to tell David a story so he could become acutely aware of his own sins and his own um, evil that he's committed. And he writes Psalm 51 in that time. And it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And so Jesus Christ is not just in the business of forgiving us, but Jesus Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit are in the business of restoring us and fixing us and molding us and sanctifying us. And um, I think that sometimes we want to hear that we're forgiven so badly that we don't remember that oftentimes God has moved way past forgiveness already. God has moved past forgiveness into full restoration. And that's the case with Peter here. Even after the first time he said, I love you, Jesus Christ was restoring him to be in a position of authority over the church of Jerusalem. And so I think that there is a response to, there's a response to um, rejection and to restoration, and that response involves living on mission for Jesus Christ, which is the feed my sheep and tend to my flock, and the response is to follow him, just as he tells Simon. So, um, so oh, last thing on restoration. Truly, truly, I say to you, um, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And so again, I think it's important to remember that the reason, the temptation that Peter was feeling when he rejected Christ was a fear, a fear for his own life and his own safety. And what is he being restored to? 
he's being restored to, to martyrdom, um, that Jesus Christ here is actually foretelling of Peter's own death. And I think that that's really important. He's not just forgiven for denying Christ, but he's restored and sanctified into being able to make the hard choices for Jesus Christ that he was never able to make before. He's not just forgiven, but he's made more holy and restored in that. And um, I was a little confused when I read this. I was very confused as to the arm stretched out wide as somebody else clothes you and takes you where you do not want to go. And so as I studied this passage, where you do not want to go is actually referring to death. And the reason that Peter's arms are stretched wide for somebody else to clothe him is because that's the way that Peter died in the end. He died on the cross just like his Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, And then that's what ended up provoking him to asking the other questions of what about his death? What about his death? But just a full picture of restoration for Peter that three times he denied Christ around a fire and three times he proclaims his love for Christ around a fire. That he denied Christ because of his fear for his safety and he's being restored and growing to a point where he will never reject Christ even when his safety is in peril. And so response, Um, the first response means living on mission in three different ways, but to mean the same thing, Jesus Christ said, live on mission. He says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep and feed my sheep in three different ways. Um, So I think that we get to see this beautiful picture of where Peter went with this. And that Peter didn't just take this and and continue going saying, oh, I'm forgiven. But he ended up leading the church in Jerusalem. And in leading the church in Jerusalem, he wrote the book Peter. And 1 Peter 5 says, um, uh, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Very clearly echoing this encounter with Jesus Christ around the fire. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then he goes on to say, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have, if you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so Peter had been restored, and his response was to live on mission, to care for the sheep, to care for the lambs and the flock of Jesus Christ. And so we as well need to be living on mission. And I'm not just talking about going on a mission trip or quitting your job to go into vocational ministry, but living in a way that is to benefit the kingdom of heaven over self. And that is what Jesus Christ is calling us to. And that's our response to being restored. And I love that we have this this really hard story that I'm sure Peter was not, I'm sure he's not exceedingly happy um, or proud of this moment, but we get to see him in his lowest as he rejects Jesus Christ. We get to see him 
being restored by Jesus Christ in the flesh. And then we get to see him using that wisdom and using that restoration to benefit the body of believers later in his life. And so in the same way, we are also called to be restored. Um, Yet, it can be difficult because there are many distractions in our lives and there's a tendency to compare ourselves to others. And so briefly, we look at here that Peter looked at another disciple in hearing this and hearing that he had been restored and hearing that he was to die for Jesus Christ. He looked beside him and said, what about him? And so he asked about the disciple John's death and Jesus said, it's none of your business. Um, It doesn't pertain to you. Worry about your own life and your own restoration and your own mission. I've just given you the highest of all charges to tend to my sheep. Why are you so focused on somebody else? And I think what's so interesting about this little snippet of him asking about another disciple's death is, one, we compare ourselves to others all the time, um, whether it be in wealth or success or even in faith. We compare our faith to others. We compare our calling to others, but also just our tendency to be distracted. All the disciples started talking about how John wasn't going to die. They truly believed that because Jesus said, it's none of your business, even if I was to have him alive until I come back again, it's none of your business. And they all started gossiping. John's not going to die. John's going to be here until Jesus comes back the second time. And it's not what Jesus said at all. And, And I just think that we so easily get distracted. We so easily compare ourselves to others that we fail to recognize that we have been restored, we've been called to live on mission, and we've been called to follow Jesus Christ with our own lives. We can't follow Jesus with somebody else's life. We can follow with our own. And so follow me. We look back at the very first calling of Peter to be a disciple at the same place, at the Sea of Galilee, as shown on my map, my my, uh, rollover map, if you will. Um, And so Jesus had said to begin his ministry, he said, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And here again, after the restoration of Peter, we see the same ask, follow me, and I will make you uh, fishers of men. Follow me two more times here. And I think that that's something that we can learn to, from as well, that you make the choice to follow Jesus Christ, and it's not a one-time choice. Why? Because all fall. All can fall. All will fall. But we can be restored and have to make that choice once again. Follow me. And um, Jesus Christ asks us, asks us to do that every single day. Um, the last thing is in living missionally and following Christ, just a a reminder that um, today we learn through sitting in classes and reading textbooks, and we have to learn all this knowledge before we put it into practice. But Christianity is not like that. It's an internship where you get to learn on the job. And so by the time Peter, before Peter had denied Christ three times, he had already done healings and and, um, preached and taught and healed people and, and got rid of demons and done all of that, yet he wasn't perfectly sanctified. 
And in the same way, we're called to follow Jesus Christ, to live on mission for him, even though we're not perfectly sanctified yet. Um, I remember as an intern here at the chapel, I got to give my first sermon, and I thought I did a really great job. Um, I brought a pull-up bar on stage. I did pull-ups. It was a hilarious sermon illustration. And then two years later, I looked back at the sermon and realized I completely missed the entire purpose of the text. Um, But that's okay. Not that we just excuse not understanding the Bible, but that we're still learning and God is still using us. And just because we're not perfect yet doesn't mean he doesn't want to use us. And so we're reminded today um, that even though we reject Christ at times, he restores us every time and that we get to respond by living on mission and we get to respond by once again making that choice to follow him. And so I've got a few questions that we can go through and talk uh, about in groups. And so those are, in what areas do you reject Christ? How can you experience forgiveness and restoration? And how can you avoid distraction and comparison as you live on mission and as you follow Christ? So I'll pray for us, and then we can break up into groups. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for technology that even as we're not gathered around a fire like Simon was, that we're gathered around heaters. Um, Father, we thank you for a beautiful morning an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to study your word. Father, we repent of the times that we reject you. We repent of the ways that we remove ourselves as living sacrifices from your altar, God. And we are grateful for the ways that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to restore us and the Holy Spirit that lives within us to restore us. Father, help us to live on mission. Help us to follow you well today. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.